You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry. This is season three, episode four. Four, kind of. Uh, we're in our Revelation series. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties last week with some of our uh, recording as Rebecca and I tried to record our episode. We're going to hopefully shake that episode out at some point. Um, we're going to try to figure out what went wrong with that. But uh, for now, what we're going to do is we're going to move on to episode four today. Uh, we're going to be talking about chapters uh what is it nine through ten through where are we at alan 10 through 12 we're talking about chapters 12 and 13 today 12 and 13 the beast the beast this is where stuff gets real weird every week we say this is where stuff gets weird and it's really it just gets weirder yeah yeah this is where we get the beast the beast uh what i am gonna do though is at the end of this episode that numbers piece um there's some really interesting things to note about how numbers were perceived and used at the time that revelation was written uh we were going to drop that in last week's podcast so we'll put that in at the end of today's episode but yeah the beast we're talking about the beast today the beast um you want to share the sermon title because you've got your you've got the right voice going on for it right now beast mode (laughs) did you know i actually have a playlist on my phone that is called beast mode engaged no i didn't know that (laughs) i listen to it loudly in the car when i'm on my way to a race or a competition so for any of you out there who don't know uh beast mode is is first but not foremost the nickname of uh running back marshawn lynch who can sometimes take over, especially when he's in the prime of his career, could sometimes take over a football game. But it's really a term from video gaming in which uh, your player character gets some sort of token or some thing that allows the character to engage a new mode of attack called beast mode in which the character is temporarily invincible. And uh, this made its debut in the late 80s in a video game called Altered Beast. Uh, And it actually had sort of a Greco-Roman theme to it where you fought undead monsters and then eventually you could turn into a werewolf or a bear or a lion and you were just invincible to those monsters for a short period of time. And that Greco-Roman reference is really important to this week's topic as we because this understanding of greco-roman culture and empire is super important to understand this this piece of revelation right it's it's really important for all of it because of the time in which it was written it sort of was the water in which everyone was swimming um you know we we see these images of a dragon with seven heads or uh, a beast with 10 horns or a beast that has the body of a leopard and the feet of a bear and the face of a lion and all of these crazy things. And 
you know, maybe it sounds like an acid trip or someone who's played too much Dungeons and Dragons or something, but really all of it comes out of this combination of Greek and Roman mythology and the Hebrew scriptures. And anybody in those congregations in the first and second centuries would have picked up on all of the references, even if that was a person who couldn't read or write. The Hebrew scriptures would have been read in worship, and people would know those stories. And of course, everyone would know the stories of Greek and Roman mythology. They were just everywhere. This week in the sermon, you made heavy reference to the Avengers. Mm -hmm. And this is just a random thought that popped into my head right now. So take it for what it's worth. I wonder what would happen like 2000 years from now, if people were to find a manuscript of your sermon and uh, like, what would they think about this superhero stuff you're talking about? Like the imagery that you used, not being as familiar with that, that imagery in the, does that make sense? Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I hear what you're saying. You know, what survives and what doesn't survive, um, what, what's relatable and what isn't relatable. And I, I think that's really the, um, the challenge as preachers is that we have to translate some of the symbology and some of the metaphors or the symbolism. Uh, and we also need to present analogs for 21st century America so that people don't go, you know, grabbing other people by the hairline to see if 666 or 616 is secretly scrawled on my forehead somewhere. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The mark of the beast. Do you hear that? People are like, they freak out about the mark of the beast. The the new one now is that people are convinced that the COVID vaccine is going to have a microchip and we're all going to be microchipped. And that's like the sign of the beast. But there's been like signs of the beast, you know, people were weirded out by barcodes and like all sorts of random yeah. crap that people are like, it's the sign of the beast. Right, right. Uh, you know, there was a great, uh, a great hue and cry against the fluoridation of water in the 1950s yes. and 60s. And for the most part, that went away as it became clear that it really wasn't a government plot for uh the secret domination of society. But if you watch uh, one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, Dr. Strangelove, that figures in prominently in the plot of the movie. And it's, it's really just about lunatic conspiracy theories and how they gain power. And the book of revelation is the touchstone for many, um, how shall I say this diplomatically, many highly idiosyncratic interpretations of scripture. As as usual, you are much more diplomatic than I. Um, <laughs> that is not how I would have put it, but we're going to go with that. I like it. I, I, I did once try to qualify for a job with the Foreign Service, so actually twice I tried. I guess I wasn't quite diplomatic enough. I guess not. Wow. And we've been friends for years and you learn something new Mm -hmm. all the time. So, yeah. 
yeah, but there's not like one beast. There's not one mark of the beast. This beast doesn't represent one specific person or thing or even one specific event. There's no one mark of the beast, but rather these beasts in the world around us, the sin-filled world, will try to claim us. Yeah, they are all of the things that get in a proper get in the way of a proper faithful response to the love of God. And they are all of the things that interrupt our faith. Remember, you know, and th this is something I say frequently to my congregation. I'm sure you say this also. We need to remember first and foremost that Satan, in Hebrew, Hasatan, simply means the accuser. And Satan accuses people of not having faith. Uh, we, we get lots of other stuff layered on top of that, and he is also called the tempter. And if you think of the stories in the Gospels of Satan tempting Jesus during his 40 days in the wilderness, Satan is tempting him with putting his faith somewhere other than God the Father. And, of course, Jesus, being the only human being of perfect faith, resists the temptation. But we as flawed mortal humans are not always so good at resisting temptation. We're actually really bad at it. There yeah, yeah, <laughs> we are. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's easier to resist like big temptation. And we, we talked about this way back in the beginning in the, the Ten Commandments uh, a year ago about how, you know, it's it's much easier to say I haven't murdered than mm -hmm. it is to say I have been charitable to all the people around me. Yeah. And, and it's also, I think, sometimes not always, but sometimes easier to keep your faith when you are being attacked physically or verbally, uh, when you are being pursued by an enemy. It can be easier for a community to circle the wagons and stand for the faith. Uh, when, when it's a clear when there's when the wolf is clearly at the door, when when the dragon is pursuing a whole community, it can be easier to say that is something that is trying to destroy us and we are going to fight back. But when it's not the wolf at the door or the dragon pursuing you, but the apple of temptation right in your eye, that can be a completely different thing. So then um, tell me what that has to do with this dragon and this pregnant woman that we're, we're reading about. And because, yeah, mm -hmm. I think we need to make that, I think we need to make that connection. We, we do. And I, I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> it's almost like we talked about this ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, at least five minutes, right? <laughs> so uh, there is a character in Greek mythology named Leto, kind of like the actor Jared Leto, except that it's a, this is a woman. And Leto uh, has an affair with Zeus, and she becomes pregnant. And there is this dragon that wants to destroy her. 
and it pursues her across the heavens, and eventually, uh, it is uh, eventually Leto is given shelter, and she has her children. Her children are the god Apollo and the goddess Artemis. And four days after Apollo is born, he grows up and pursues the dragon and destroys it. And of course, Apollo is the god of the sun. He is this uh, sort of invincible figure. And the emperor Nero claimed to be a descendant of Apollo. Of course, the Roman emperor is always worshipped as a living god, but in particular, Nero claims Apollo as his patron. So we've got a lot of illusions going on here. First, uh, the pregnant woman in this story is kind of a reference to Eve. Uh, second, we have the distinction here between the false gods of the, the Greco-Roman world and our god, the true god, and uh, the the child is both is sort of a reference to Jesus, but the child is really all of the faithful, all of the people who keep the faith despite being pursued by those people or forces that want to destroy them. So, so it's it's um, it's a connection to that, but it but it's saying that. Um, it's saying that God's going to protect us too. And even if we are being pursued or persecuted, God will not forget about us, but God will do everything in God's power to equip us for whatever we need in the struggle. Uh, the, the woman is, of course, carried away by an eagle, which I believe is a reference to Isaiah. I don't, I don't have my commentary open in front of me. It might also be a reference to the Psalms. Um, but, you know, this, this idea that God understands what our struggle is and that the faithful will not be forgotten, period. Yeah, I think that's so important for us to remember as we're looking at this passage. We're coming back around to this idea that we're going to keep hammering home time and time again, that revelation is not a code, Revelation is not um, a, a future-telling sort of prophecy. It is built full of themes that are timeless. And so there's, there's not one beast. There are many beasts that we come up against as, as history unfolds. And, um, and, and God is there with us. This is ultimately a book of hope. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just so important for us to remember as we're reading this passage. Yeah, and, and again, I think we need to be reminded of some Old Testament references that are made in this too, besides the, the creation story. Um, dragons do appear in, as, as metaphor in the Old Testament. Um, the... Uh, the prophet Ezekiel referred to the nation of Egypt as a dragon. The prophet Jeremiah described the king of Babylon as a dragon. And the book of Daniel speaks of a beast with ten horns. Hmm, 
ten horns. Do we hear that in Revelation, Carissa? Yeah, sounds like a dragon to me. Um, also, let's not forget Bell and the Dragon, which is an apocryphal Oh, book, I did forget an, that. It's an awful lot of fun to read if you've never read that before. Uh, but dra- yeah, dragon imagery is all over the place in the Old Testament. Yeah, it, it represents the forces that seek to destroy God's chosen people. Uh, very specifically in Revelation, it represents the empires that threatened or conquered Israel. Uh, the beast that comes from the sea in chapter 13 also borrows imagery from the book of Daniel. In John's vision, the beast was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. These physical features recall Daniel chapter 7, uh, which speaks of a series of empires rising before the kingdom of God arrived. The first looked like a lion, the second like a bear, the third like a leopard, and the fourth had ten horns. Revelation draws all these features into a single beast. And I should point out here that I am quoting from Craig Kirster's Revelation and the End of All Things. Uh, I I am not so well steeped in the book of Daniel that I would have that reference at my fingertips. So, friends, don't feel that you need to know it so well that you should have caught that reference yourself. My point is that the congregations hearing this 1,900 years ago probably would have heard those references, but we don't. And this is a warning to the people about the destructive power of the Roman Empire and its ability to persecute Christians. It's also satire. It is poking fun at all of these empires. It's making empire into a very ugly thing. It's a New Uh, Yorker cartoon. Yeah, it's a New Yorker cartoon. (laughs) Thank you. I, I like that. Not not quite as much as where I went with it in the sermon, but I do like that because it, it is poking fun, and uh, that's important. I, I think the other thing that um, is really important historically is we are used to thinking of the military might of the Roman Empire, and that is absolutely true. They were uh, without parallel in... Uh, in certain periods in the ancient world, really from maybe a century or so BCE until a couple centuries into this common era. Uh, And certainly at the time Revelation was written, Rome was at the height of its power. Uh, It's it's a period that begins with uh, Caesar Augustus, that historians call the Pax Romana. And Rome, during during this period, Rome was not seriously threatened by any other outside powers. So they were able to secure their borders, and it meant that uh, piracy was rare on the Mediterranean. It meant that caravans moving across the across North Africa and the Middle East and uh, Southern Europe were relatively safe from robbery. And so a great trading network also flourished during this time. 
Um, Rome is busy establishing colonies to resettle its veteran soldiers, and the economy is just booming. Goods are flowing all across the Mediterranean world, and lots and lots of people are making a good living during this time. Of course, some of those people convert to this new religion that we now call Christianity. And they are employed in various trades, such as making barrels. We call them coopers, uh, blacksmiths, uh, metalsmiths, shipbuilders, uh, potters. You, you need all of these uh, cartwrights, people who make the carts and the wheels and ship the goods over land. Uh, tanners, weavers, dyers of wool and other cloth. I, I mean, there are so many of these trades going on. And uh, winemakers. Um, and all of their products are getting shipped all across the Roman world. And so people who, do, who practice these trades all belong to professional associations called guilds. Now, here's where this becomes a problem for people who have found Christianity. Every guild has a patron god. So if you are a boat builder or a shipbuilder, perhaps the patron god for your guild is Poseidon, or if you want to use the Roman name, Neptune. And so you have these guild meetings in which you offer prayers to Poseidon. Maybe you sacrifice some animals to Poseidon. And then you go about your business. The thing is, you don't really have a choice. If you want to have a career in that trade, you have to belong to the guild. The guild might even, on an annual basis, hold a big festival in honor of their patron god. Now, these are important rituals in the communities. Uh, of course, all of the guild members take part in this, but they usually buy lots and lots of animals and sacrifice them to the god, and then they cook them, and they use this meat to feed the whole population of the town. So it's a good way of taking care of the poor people in the town, and they'll, they'll gladly offer prayers to anyone who's feeding them. And uh, it just, it helps the community, and it probably gets you a little extra labor here and there. And it's just what's expected of you if you are a member of the guild. But of course, that's problematic, huh? Yes, uh, quite problematic. And so... We don't have guilds today that are asking us to sacrifice things to other gods, but um, everything seems to come back around for us to the subtle idolatries, <laughs> the soft oh. idolatries. Yes. Oh, that's a good title. That's such a great title, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 that's what this is talking about: um, the ways that we compromise for the empire around us 
and the empire might be literally empire, like government, right? I know a lot of people that have very strong political views that are completely and utterly unscriptural. Mm -hmm. They just do. And, um, you know, so that is an example of how we might um, literally compromise for an actual empire, right? Maybe we've been told that real Christians vote this particular way on this particular issue, right? Um, and I'm not going to, we all know what those issues are. I'm not going to call them out here today. I probably will another time, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling charitable today. <laughs> uh, right. And so, so I think it's important for us to look at those. Um, and we also do that in family and friend relationships with people. We compromise for the empire of community in some ways and community is a scriptural thing and um there is give and take there but sometimes we compromise our identity mm -hmm. yeah and, and and sometimes we do it knowingly and sometimes we do it unwittingly or sometimes yeah knowingly but we don't think there's a problem with what we're doing um in in, in the sermon I, I tell a little story about one of my best friends from high school guy named Dave. So this one day we walk into class. I think it was physics. I think it was 11th grade. And uh, I look down on my desk and somebody from homeroom or the class before has, has scribbled on the desk, I love Satan, spelled S-A-T-I-N. Now, uh, for, for those of you who are not uh, devotees of the fabric arts, uh, the unnamed person in the story claimed that he truly said he loves satin, you know, that, that soft, shiny fabric. Now, I saw this. I knew what I'm pretty sure the person really intended to mean. I was annoyed. Uh, I didn't want to have to clean the desk. I didn't want to get blamed for putting it there. And, you know, I just, I was annoyed. And my buddy Dave turns around and writes on the desk, I prefer cotton. And, and his, his little bit of satire was way better than me erasing it, because truthfully, you'd see what was written there even if it had been erased. And it just mocked the person who put it there, kind of like the way that John is mocking the Roman Empire, both in terms of its military power and in terms of its commercial power. This is, this is why you have to have the number of the beasts scrawled on your forehead or on your hand to do business, to trade. This is important. Um, so, you know, the... This, I think, is the takeaway for us, too. I hated high school. I, I just, I didn't like the overly confining social structures. Uh, I didn't like the teaching sometimes. Um, I thought that a lot of the work that we did was just busy work and didn't really have a purpose. Uh, I thought grades were kind of ridiculous and that's another discussion much like the discussion of of what proper christian politics are um but at any rate i was you know i was a typical sulking teenager who uh you know thought 
felt often like he was disliked or unpopular. And uh, the thing is, I would have done anything to be popular. I would have, uh, I would have insulted anybody to get a laugh from the popular kids. Uh, I would have, I would have done lots of things that I would uh, look back on as an adult with regret because I would have done them just to be popular. I was, I was dorky enough that I didn't get those opportunities to do too many of those awful things. Um, but, but the point really, the takeaway and the reason I have the story included in there is it's, it's your friends who get you through those tough times. Now, my friend Dave was never going to hold my hand and say, it's okay. I like you. People do like you. Uh, he was going to say, I like you, and I'm going to include you in this uh, great joke, this great bit of satire that uh, I am going to put on the piece of graffiti on your desk. And that's what John of Patmos is saying. He is saying, take heart, have faith. God is with us. Um, the devil only has the power that you grant him. Yes, there will be some power on earth to destroy. Um, the Roman Empire might be able to persecute us if it chooses, but take heart and don't compromise with the empire. Now, why didn't he just say it directly like that? I don't know. Uh, everybody yeah. likes a good sermon illustration. Everybody, I mean, it's, we don't mm -hmm. just come out and straight say exactly what we're talking about. We don't. And the fact is, if he just said it, it would be really easy to forget. It would be really easy to uh, mute or alter the message. But this message is going to congregations that have very few people who can go back and read the scripture after worship. So it's delivered in vivid images. Uh, another way that I would describe this and how I describe it in the sermon is revelation in general and this story in particular are stories of God's love for humanity as described in the Marvel Comics universe. I mean, th this really is the Avengers. Um, the Avengers have this mission to defend humanity from supervillains that humanity can't deal with on its own. But the Avengers are all of these self-absorbed, sometimes self-righteous, sometimes pompous individuals who can't get along with one another well enough to direct their attentions toward the actual problem. And the problem can only be solved once the individual Avengers let go of their pettiness and their self-absorption and all of their personal demons and work together. I have a really important question for you then. Mm-hmm. Which Avengers are we? Ooh, that's a good question. 
And I think I think that everyone should be asking themselves that which which Avenger are you and how can you work together with the Avengers that are around you? Mm, I like right? that. Thanks. Yeah, I had so, every of once that. in a while I have a good one. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. We'll, we'll definitely have to leave that in the podcast and not edit it out. I'm not editing that out. <laughs> well, uh, listeners, feel free to comment and let us know which Avengers you think Alan and I are. I think that'll be a lot of fun to hear what our listeners and congregants think, which Avengers we are. Which, I think they'll probably be too nice, though. Probably. Which, which Avenger do you want to be? I don't I don't know. That's an excellent question. I, I really have to spend some time with that. I think we're going to have to revisit this next week. I, I think so too. I, I, I think um I think I think I might go with Thor. Um mm. see see being Swedish. True. Oops, uh yeah. yeah, that 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 that's an instant draw. And uh if you've if you've seen um Ragnarok, you know, the uh I, I can I can relate to uh Thor's love of drink. So <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great, oh my gosh. I just absolutely love fat Thor. Yes. It's amazing. It's just yes. amazing. Um, so, so good. Yeah. I don't like, I'm looking through the, I'm looking through the list here and I just, I don't know. I really, you know, I like gadgets. Mm-hmm. And so I could really see myself as Iron Man. Yeah. But, but, you 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 do not have any of Tony Stark's vanity, or you, you might have some of his. Fair. I mean, he, he's got a he's got a snarky streak, but but it it kind of crosses over into mean. You probably don't go there. No. Um, but yeah, you you don't you don't have Stark's vanity. I... That okay? I'll take that. I'll take mm-hmm. that and uh, wear that in my hat mm-hmm. proudly. Um, I'm sorry, I've derailed us. Our whole point here is to find those people around you who help hold you up and help you to fight the empire, whatever Mm -hmm. that empire is that is that is likely to cause you to compromise your faith. Mm -hmm. Find those people that do not compromise you, but rather hold you accountable and hold you up. And and if you are feeling held up, if you are feeling supported, go find someone who isn't. Yes. Yeah. That's the essence of Christian community. We find the people who are having trouble standing on their own. And and we tell them, you are not alone. Take my hand. Yeah. And that's how you destroy the beast. That's how you destroy the beast. Remember that the beast has no actual power for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, and even the actual power that it has can be fought collectively not individually that'll preach that, that will, will preach, preach. In, in fact that has preached yeah <laughs> uh yeah this week actually mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes and um if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't listened to the sermon yet um it should have gone live what'll be yesterday for you so you can just back up an episode and listen to that there we've been putting the the sermons on the podcast each week for you um, I feel you did a lot of the talking this week, but I feel like I have nothing else to contribute. How about you? So I did, did you, uh, did you hear about the, the dolphin, uh, who 
ripped some swim fins off a diver. Oh dear. Every everyone claimed it was an accident, but I think the dolphin did it on purpose. Man, see, you're supposed to let me do the puns. That's how this has worked for a year now, and all of a sudden, I don't like this. I did I all the like work. It. Now you got served. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, um, yeah. So on that note, I'm gonna like close this out with. Well, actually, why don't you uh, give us a? No, I'll pray. You bless. I'll pray you bless, and then I'll talk us out of here. (laughs) How's that sound? (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Almighty God, we just thank you for the witness of Scripture, as weird as it may be sometimes, and we pray that you would continue to reveal to us great meaning in your Scripture. We ask that you would um, surround us with those who would hold us up and help us to Stand up against the beast. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen. That's another episode of Soft Idolatry. Thanks for tuning in. You can uh, connect with us on our website, which is www.softidolatry.com. Well, did you hear the one about the Roman soldier who walked into the bar? Ow! Okay, that's, no, not that one. The other one. Roman soldier walks into a bar, sits down, holds up two fingers and says to the bartender, I'd like five beers, please. (laughs) that's a good one thanks stay tuned after the end credits folks and we'll play that uh little extra excerpt excursus if you will on numbers not the book numbers but number numbers like actual numerals numerals thanks for joining us on soft idolatry for show notes and more information check out our website at softidolatry.com to send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Pattern recognition. One of the areas in which I believe we have trouble relating to the book of Revelation is all of these weird numbers. I mean, I haven't looked it up myself, but I think there are more numbers in the book of Revelation than in the book of Numbers. And I think that we tend to see these numbers and think, oh, there must be a code. That's maybe not what's going on, but I think we have this tendency to look for that and these odd numbers like 666 or 144,000 or lots of other numbers all seem to cry out for us to 
find a hidden meaning. The human brain excels at recognizing patterns. Think about it. Some people are excellent at spelling, while others can't spell, even if they have a dictionary in front of them. Yet most of us can read emails and text messages no matter how well or how poorly the sender of the message can spell. Why? Once the human brain has been taught a pattern, it can recognize that pattern even if the pattern is incomplete. The brain fills in the missing parts and interprets the pattern correctly most of the time. But this only works when the person sending the message and the person who receives the message have the same set of information. For instance, if I send an email to my congregation about next Sunday's service and I misspell half the words, they're still probably going to understand most of what I said. But if I misspell someone's email address, the message could go to someone in Finland, or it could go to no one at all. Now, if that hypothetical person in Finland doesn't speak English, then it won't matter whether or not I've spelled the words correctly. The person in Finland doesn't have the same set of information, the English language, that I have. When John of Patmos wrote Revelation, most of the population couldn't read and write. The only way to encounter the scriptures was to hear them read in worship. So the writers of the scriptures had to use vivid images that people would remember. They also used symbols so that people could retain more information. The words and the feelings. For instance, in Revelation, the lamb is a symbol for Christ. That focuses the attention of the person who hears the text. Not only were most people of that time illiterate, they were also enumerate. That is, most people could only do basic arithmetic, and they couldn't count much higher than 20 or so. What's more, neither the Greeks nor the Romans had the concept of zero. They didn't have a numeral that represented the value of nothing. Most of us can read and write and do basic arithmetic. Even if you weren't good at math in school, you can probably grasp large numbers. 10 is an easy number to understand. We have 10 fingers. 100 is also easy to understand. It's 10 times 10. That's also true for 1,000. It's 10 times 10 times 10. We can grasp those numbers. We can visualize those numbers. We can even multiply those numbers because we're used to thinking about things in multiples of 10. The zero really helps with that. But unless you're totally geeked about Roman numerals, you can't multiply MXC MXII times VII. And even if you can, you're probably converting the Roman numerals to Arabic numerals and then multiplying 1,912 times 7. John of Patmos was writing 
to congregations in which most people couldn't grasp or visualize the number 1,000, much less the number 144,000. For the congregations who first heard Revelation, the numbers were symbolic. The numbers weren't taken literally because literally no one could comprehend those numbers. Like all of the other imagery, those big numbers got the attention of those early congregations. The numbers catch our attention, too. The problem for us is that we're too good at pattern recognition. We are too quick to recognize patterns that weren't there for the first people to hear the words of Revelation. We hear things that the author didn't intend for us to hear. In fact, John of Patmos couldn't have even anticipated that we might hear some of these patterns. So we have to consider the numbers as symbols, yes, but not as a secret code, a code that no one could have grasped at the time. And the key for all of this is remembering that the scriptures are valid at all times. They speak to the church when they're written, and they speak to the church now. So just keep that in the back of your mind as you come across these weird, oddly specific numbers in Revelation. Thanks be to God. Amen.